It's such an honor for us to have each of you here tonight. We have visitors with us, and we thank you for coming and worshiping with us. And for those of you who are visiting and looking for a place to work and to worship the Lord, we'd love to have you to consider to work and worship with us. On Sunday evenings for the past several weeks, I've been preaching lessons on moral issues. We've talked about things that are current topics in our society. We've talked about things like abortion, homosexuality, gambling. Last week we talked about divorce. And tonight we're going to talk about the devil's brew. We're going to talk about the subject of beverage alcohol. And I know that that is a very timely subject because it's something that we are confronted with in our everyday lives. I want to begin with the concept that I have heard a number of times since I have been here in McMinnville. I believe, if I'm correct, we have fought the liquor issue four or five times. One of the statements that is made almost every time, and some by even members of the church, is that you cannot legislate morality. Now, those same people do believe that you can legislate theft. They believe you can legislate murder. They believe that you can legislate even, to some degree, some speech. But when you start looking at them, you have to realize Man can know the difference between good and evil. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, Moses records, For God knows that the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Since man and woman ate of that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, man has had the ability to recognize the difference. Man can be taught and must be taught to recognize the difference. When Ezekiel was picturing the role of the priest as God intended it, he said in Ezekiel chapter 44 and verse 23, And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. You see, God intended that the priest of the Old Testament and those who preach his word today allow people to understand the difference between right and wrong. In fact, men should do what is good while at the same time rejecting what is evil. In 3 John, verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. I don't think a person has to go very far in the scriptures before they recognize that there is a distinction between good and evil, and man should appreciate that and react accordingly. Men who choose to participate in evil will not go to heaven. When Paul was writing the Corinthians, right after discussing the discipline that was to take place to purify the church and to save the soul of the sinner, he says to them in verse 9 of chapter 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. I think that's pretty plain. God has legislated through His Word. In every faithful and righteous and good and holy government should do the same. When Paul described the role of the government in Romans chapter 13, he said in verses 1 through 4, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and that the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist bring judgment upon themselves. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you shall have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. You see, God expected the government to appreciate, to extol goodness, while at the same time punish evil. People say, well, you can't legislate morality. If you say that, you are flying full face in what the scriptures teach that we must do. With that in mind, tonight I'd like to approach the subject of the devil's brew or strong drink, and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say on the subject. Because after all, that is the most important thing that you and I can do. Number two, we will look at the fruits of strong drink. What does it produce in the lives of people? And we'll look at a basic principle there. And then finally, just very briefly, the Christian response to strong drink. I will tell you that there are people who will say that drinking alcoholic beverages is fine. In fact, they will tell you that you can do a lot of things that God's Word will say you cannot do. In the book of Micah, the prophecy that was regarding the false prophet of that day, he said, If a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he will be a prattler of this people. There were people in their day that they wanted to say, It's good, it's all right, it's fine. And yet... To do so would be to speak a lie. Whatever God's word says on a subject is the truth. If man says otherwise, he is the liar. Romans 3, 4, he says, Let God be true and every man a liar. Our task is to explore the teachings of the Bible on the subject of strong grain. So let's start looking at it. Let's, let's go back to the book of Genesis. And you go to Genesis chapter 9, and you remember after Noah had built the ark, they had come off of the ark, he planted a vineyard, and once he planted that vineyard, he began to drink the vintage of it. We learn in chapter 9, beginning with verse 20, 
And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away that they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine, and listen carefully, and knew what his younger son had done to him. There's evidently more than just the physical sight here. There is something that was done. No one in their right mind would allow something to be done to them. But Noah was intoxicated. Whether Noah knew or did not know that this wine would intoxicate him is not the point at this juncture. It's to emphasize that he became drunk and drunkenness put him in a situation to do something that was not approved of or not allowed. As I go further, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, we are introduced to a woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah is a woman of the very bitter spirit. She's very sad. She's begging for a child. You do know that Samuel is going to be the child that is born to her. When Eli looks at her, he's going to see her mouth moving. And according to chapter 1, verses 13, we read, Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought that she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Now listen carefully to verse 16. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. Why would she have been thought to be a wicked woman? Why would Eli have rebuked her? Because of a woman being drunken. It's not becoming and it's not right. David, according to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 13, tried to cover up his sin by getting Uriah drunk. Just like with the case with Noah, people will do things that they ordinarily would not do in their sane, sober mind were they not drunk. Listen to 2 Samuel 11. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. David thought, if I can get him drunk, I can get him to cover up his sin, the sin that David had committed. You can continue on through the Bible, and I will tell you there are a number of other passages. I really want at this point just to pause and let Solomon speak on the subject. Because in the book of Proverbs, he addresses it several times. Chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink a broiler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Notice, it mocks you. How many times have you seen a person intoxicated? They're hilarious because they're doing stupid stuff. Things that 
that is just embarrassing to them. You see that happen. Wine is a brawler. That is a person willing to get into a fight. Some people who are nice and peaceful and calm when they're sober, you put a little alcohol in them, intoxicate them, and they're just awful. Whoever is led astray, notice those words, led astray is not wise. In chapter 23, verses 20 and 21, he says, Do not mix with wine bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness clothes a man with rags. This drunkard here is described as a man who's going to come to poverty. I have observed this several times myself. I observed people who actually allowed alcohol to consume their lives. And they took the money that their family should have to be able to eat and drink, and they've taken it and consumed it on alcohol. In fact, growing up as a young child, the man that worked for my father on the car lot was a great mechanic. But he couldn't wait to get his paycheck every Friday afternoon because he wanted to take it to go to the beer joint. That's what we called it. And he drank every last penny of it up. He'd come in Monday morning and be intoxicated from having a weekend. Couldn't work probably to Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, and then try to repeat it all over again that Friday afternoon. Poor man's family struggled. My daddy got where he would give part of the money to his wife take care of them because it was so sad. The passage that Brother Willie read for us just a few moments ago from Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 through 35, without reading it all again, notice how Solomon begins with a series of questions. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? He's describing a person who has become a drunkard. And he says, those that linger long at wine, they drink a lot. Those that go in search of mixed wine, they try to distill it to the, where they get a higher alcoholic content out of it. And then he goes on to describe how it affects them. The idea of lying, one lying in the midst of the ocean or at the top of the mast. And then he says, verse 35, They have struck me, and I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. And he says, When will I awake that I may sink another drink, seek another drink? The addictive nature of it. Chapter 31, verses 4 and 5. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine. For princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. You see, people who are intoxicated, they're not able to think rationally. They're not able to exhibit compassion. That should be to those who are afflicted. When I get to the book of Isaiah as a prophet... Isaiah fires, if you will, a number of woes 
at those people who participate. In Isaiah 5, verses 11 and 12, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink and continue until night until wine inflames them. The harp and the strings, the tambourine and the flute and wine are in their feast. But they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider the operation of His hands. You do not find faithful Christians at the bars, nor do you find the drunkards in church. They just don't go together. And that's what he's trying to say. Woe to those who follow that. Chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Woe to the mighty men at drinking wine. Woe to the valiant men at mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the justice of a righteous man. These people here are, hey, I'm, I'm a drinker. I'm proud of it. I can hold my liquor. He says, woe to those people who do that. Chapter 28, verses 1 through 3. Woe to the crown of pride to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valleys, to those overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord is a mighty and strong one, like a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, like a flood of mighty waters overflowing, who will bring them down to the earth with his hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, will be trampled underfoot. He's talking about their arrogance. Ephraim was the northern kingdom. These people who are at the head of a verdant, beautiful, luxurious, flourishing valley, they're going to lose it. God's going to trample them. And then Isaiah 28, verses 7 and 8. But they have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. I would say, if I stopped at this point, you'd say, I think I'm starting to get the picture here. Whether it's Solomon or whether it's Isaiah... The message of Scripture is abundantly clear. But then you go to the book of Daniel. Daniel is taken along with other Hebrew young men and made eunuchs to serve in the Babylonian Empire. As he is taken captive, they prescribe for him a number of things, including training and diet and food, in Daniel 1 and verse 8 we read, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Do you notice the word defile? That indicates being impure in God's sight. Daniel said, I don't want to do that. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 11, Harlotry, wine and new wine, 
enslave the heart. Talks about how addictive it is. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. I cannot tell you how many times men have tried to persuade a young woman to get drunk so that he could take advantage of her. Surely, we can understand what the Bible teaches on the subject. But I'm not through. I've just now got to the New Testament. Paul teaches that those who participate in it can't go to heaven. Listen to Romans 13, 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You see, what you do, you don't follow after that. You become a Christian. In Galatians 5, 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's about as plain as you can put it. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is a fornicator or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. You find a person participating in this, if you are a Christian and you do that, you don't eat with them. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Don't be drunk with wine. Now, I've heard the quibbles many times over. Some people say, but you've got to understand, it brings good things. See, if we can sell liquor here in our community, we can either sell it by the drink or we can have package stores or we can have all this stuff. Don't you realize all the tax money that comes from that? Oh, then, good. Let us do evil that good may come. Now listen to Paul. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Folks, it is never right to do wrong for whatever supposed good we might think that comes from it. Someone says, but Jesus made wine in John chapter 2 at that wedding party that they had at Cana of Galilee. In fact, he made a lot of it. One of the biggest quibbles is that Jesus made wine. 
the Greek word in the New Testament, oinos, is the word for the juice of the grape. You cannot tell by the word itself whether the juice has fermented or not fermented. Sometimes, in some context, it's clearly fermented. Sometimes, in other contexts, it's not fermented. And in that case, I don't believe that Jesus would have produced any kind of fermented wine for this reason alone, among many other, but for this one alone. Habakkuk 2.15 pronounces a woe upon a person who gives that wine to someone else to make him drunk. Had Jesus provided 120 gallons of intoxicating drink, he would have made a bunch of people drunk. Someone says, but there's medicinal uses for alcohol. There may be. But that's not the same thing as drinking it to become intoxicated. Some say the Bible doesn't condemn drinking, it just condemns drunkenness. I made a mistake in preparing this. I didn't bring the quote, but one of the government sites, I believe it's the National Institutes of Health, the paragraph very near the bottom of their website says that you become intoxicated at the very first sip. That it begins to enter your bloodstream and begins to affect your motor skills and your cognitive abilities. That is your ability to reason. Folks, we have people who supposedly are Christians, people who are supposedly religious, say, oh, but it, you, you're not drunk until you get just down in the floor, can't get up and help yourself drunk. No. Even the worldly people recognize that you begin to be drunk with the very first drink. And some say their drink had alcoholic content, that all of it did, and thus a little of it is acceptable. I don't buy that at all. There were numerous ways in which uh, the drink was preserved. And uh, if you want to know, I can give you about four or five different ways that they preserved it. But those are just quibbles. Very quickly now, the fruit of strong drink. Jesus said, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear Bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. I think we can recognize by what people do whether or not it is holy and righteous. And when you start looking at the effects of alcohol, sometimes it's difficult to measure. For instance... A spouse or a child growing up in a home where money is tight due to alcohol and where physical and verbal abuse are rampant. Can you tell me you know how much pain is caused there? How much suffering occurs? I can't measure that. What about having a loved one snatched in the prime of their lives having been killed by a drunk driver? Can you look at a mama or a daddy and say to them, say, well, alcohol's not too bad after they've lost their son or their daughter? I'm going to tell you, I have talked to parents who've lost their children because they've been hit by a drunk driver. 
And I'm going to tell you, if you said something like that, they might just clobber you to start with. The pain that it has caused. Let me give you three facts. The National Conference of State Legislators in 2006 noted that 12.8% of the adults have experienced a drug or alcohol or drug dependency at some time in their lives. That's a lot of folks. In Tennessee, the arrests that were made here, 29.9% of them were involved with alcohol. 18.1% are involved with alcohol and something else. You put those two together, 50% of all their arrests in the state of Tennessee have some connection to alcohol. The Centers for Disease Control, and this is from their website, researchers estimated that excessive drinking costs $746 per person in the United States in 2006. That means for every one of us, will you drink or not? It costs $746 and excessive alcohol consumption, including high per occasion alcohol consumption, that's binge drinking, and high daily alcohol consumption is responsible for an average of 79,000 deaths in the United States each year. Now notice... The high consumption. We're not talking about people who just drink occasionally. We're talking about people who binge drink. People who drink a lot. 79,000 a year dying. You want to tell me that's good fruit? Well, God has always expected us as Christians to stand up on subjects of moral importance. In Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, So I sought for a man among them who would... Make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. And I found no one. God said, I'm looking for people who will stand up and be counted and say, this is where I am. It's not on the ballot this year. But brothers and sisters, if it comes on the ballot again, well, not just say, well, I, I'm going to vote against We ought to stand up and say, I believe it's sinful, I believe it's wrong, and we're going to stand against it. In Ephesians 5.11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them for what they are. John 3.19 and 20, And this is condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, because, lest his deeds should be exposed. The worldly people don't want us to expose this. Acts 18 verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Let people know where you stand. The use of alcohol as a recreational beverage to get intoxicated is sinful and it is wrong. To support such action by lending our consent is also sinful and wrong. And Christians should find meaning in their lives by God rather than trying to find it in a bottle. This evening I realize that the lesson has not been an evangelistic one. 
but it has been one that deals with a moral issue which God's Word addresses. Perhaps you're here tonight and you have been contemplating, you've been thinking about, I need to be a New Testament Christian. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him and be baptized, we will assist you tonight in being baptized. If you're a Christian and you have sin in your life, we will pray with you that God will forgive you. And if you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing?